Amen. Thank you, Rip. Well, we are continuing our series on Breaking Babylon, going through the book of Daniel, and hopefully uh, a lot of you are aware of the book of Daniel and where we're, where we're going, where we've been. Uh, today we're, we're covering Daniel chapter 3, and this is the famous fiery furnace, right, just to give you a little context. And I'm going to tell this story, uh, it's a long one, so if we were going to read it all, it would take a while, and your eyes might glaze over, so what we're going to do is... I'm going to retell the story kind of in my own words, and I, then we'll, I'll just hit certain things as we go down through there. We'll hit the application, and then that's pretty much it. So it should be, uh, you know, it's not, not going to be anything dazzling, but uh, let's, let's uh, go ahead and, and take a look at Daniel chapter 3. You can turn there if you like, because I will be pointing out different things as we go through. So just a little context, remember, if you haven't read Daniel in a while, Daniel and his friends... Uh, Babylon has been, is the, is the kingdom of, of kind of the known world in, in the Middle East. It is one of the first great empires, and Nebuchadnezzar is the first great emperor, right? He's the first great king who has conquered the Holy Land. Uh, his kingdom stretches all through what is, you know, Iran, uh, Assyria, goes down into Egypt and into Israel, and Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, uh, those are their Babylonian names. Daniel's Babylonian name is Belteshazzar, and they are probably 17 or 18 when they get captured and taken over to, uh, to Babylon, and so they kind of assimilate into Babylonian culture, language, all of those things. And we started out a few weeks ago in Daniel chapter 1 where Daniel tests himself, right? He says, we're not going to eat the food that you guys are offering up to everybody else. So he kind of creates a little bit of a crisis or he's willing to test himself and his friends. And he says, test me in these things. Okay, remember? And, and of course, God blesses him and he and his friends are found to be better than, than all the others. And uh, you, uh, again, this is podcast. If you want to go back, there was tons of things that our kids and uh, teenagers and so on, uh, as we get into that, the, this Daniel chapter 2 was uh, last, last month when we talked about that, and uh, really a crisis is created that God creates, right? Because in Daniel chapter 2, the crisis that happens, happens as a result of a dream. And who is the giver of dreams, right? It's a prophetic dream, it's a true dream, and no one can interpret it, and a crisis is created, and everyone's going to die, including Daniel and his friends, and God shows up and intervenes in space and time, and Daniel and his friends are raised up as a result of this conflict, okay? So here, in Daniel chapter 3, we kind of see another crisis created, but this time the crisis is created by the sin of King Nebuchadnezzar, okay? It's not something that God brings into Nebuchadnezzar's life. It's not something that Daniel creates, but his own sin. And so King Nebuchadnezzar makes an image of gold. And this is a huge statue that he places out on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And we don't know much about this image. Some people think because it's kind of tall and skinny, I mean, there's a, there's a picture up there, but some people think it might have been like a column. A lot of people think it was an, an image of Possibly even an image of King Nebuchadnezzar himself. If you remember the image that he sees in the vision in Daniel chapter 2, it says that the head is of gold 
but then the, the image, right, goes all the way down to bronze and clay by the time you get to the feet and that this kingdom will not stand. So Boyce in his commentary says that actually it's possible that this is an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself and it's all solid gold because he's trying to defy the, the dream that he had in Daniel chapter 2. It's only speculation on our part, but it's an interesting idea that he would do that. And, and so he sets up this, this image and says, everybody, all of my princes, all of the, the nobility, everyone in my government is going to come and bow down and worship. You know, we are like Nebuchadnezzar, or we live in a world where systems are like that, right? We will all set up our own kingdoms when we can. Uh, we'll all set up our own images, rip you know, had us create these idols, right? We have idols in our life and we're living for something and we are building our kingdoms. If Nebuchadnezzar is setting this up to prove his kingdom would endure, that's not surprising, right? Because everyone is trying to set up their own kingdom in one way or another. Now, one of the, the curious things about this is they go out into the plains and they're trying to set up and everybody's supposed to bow down and worship. This is like the inauguration. It's the revealing of this idol, this statue that they're going to worship, and Daniel's not there. Like, have you ever really stopped to think about that? It's kind of curious that we don't know what happened to Daniel in in chapter 3. He does not, either he bows down to it himself, and it's just not written in there, and of course, if I was writing this, and I was Daniel, and I bowed and compromised, I wouldn't probably put that part. Um, Although that would be inconsistent with Daniel and his character. So many people believe that maybe he was a high enough rank where he did not have to prove his loyalty by bowing down to this. Some people think that he was out of town. And what a convenient thing to be on an important mission for the king and be absent when this happened so that he was not put to the test in this way. Um, I'd certainly like to be out of town on business if, if something like this happened. So... Uh, those are just speculation again on our part. And so basically everyone comes and the music plays and everyone is supposed to, and, and it's curious too, he goes through and says the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, which we don't even know what that is, the bagpipe. I mean, he names it every time, like every kind of music that's playing. When that happens, I want all of you to lay down on your face, right? Prostrate before this image and worship it. Okay, so he is, this is a clear violation of the first commandment, right? And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying, we are, gonna, we are not going to do this. We are not going to uh, compromise in this way. Now, whoever doesn't fall down and worship this image shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Okay, so therefore, as soon as the sound, as soon as the music starts to play, everybody goes on their face, and bows down. Now, it's interesting. uh, At this time, it says certain Chaldeans come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. Now, what's interesting about that is the Chaldeans, if you remember Daniel chapter 2, those are the very ones that Daniel saves. The Chaldeans and all of these sorcerers are the, the ones who advise the king And they were all going to be killed, right, and their homes destroyed, you remember this in Daniel chapter 2, if they could not interpret the dream. And Daniel saves all their lives, tells the king not to kill them, and so they repay him by pretty much coming and telling on these guys that get raised up. And say, hey, these are the guys, the Jews are not listening to you. Um, 
And this reminds me of, it's, it's one of the Aesop's fables of the scorpion and the frog. Do you guys, have you ever heard that, that fable? Uh, if you've never heard it, the story is this, that there is a scorpion who wished to cross a river, okay? And he can't get across because obviously he can't swim. And there's a frog that's swimming nearby. And so the scorpion says to the frog, hey, if you'll take me across the river, you know, that would just be so grateful. And the frog says, well, don't, I can't take you across the river because you're a scorpion and you'll sting me. And then I'll drown, and you'll drown, and we'll both die. And the scorpion says, no, I won't. Why would I do that? That would hurt me. I, I could not do that. I'm not going to do that. And so the frog, he finally talks the frog into it. The scorpion gets on the frog's back. They start across the river. Halfway across, the scorpion stings the frog. And the frog is dying, and he says, we're both going to perish now. Why did you do this? And the frog says, I can't go against my own nature. And, you know, that is the way these Chaldeans are operating in a way that is part of their nature, all right? If you and I are not informed by the Holy Spirit, if you work and our kids go to school with people who are not Christians, who don't have the Holy Spirit in their lives, it's interesting how we get upset when people act like they are not believers. <laughs> Does that ever happen to you where you know, you're like your neighbor's doing something that's driving you crazy and you're like, I can't believe they would do that. Uh, the fact that these guys want to get ahead by tearing down Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who only are raised up because of Daniel saving their lives, everyone's life, it shouldn't surprise us when we see that happen. In fact, Matthew 10 says, Behold, this is Jesus talking, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. All right, We live and operate in a worldly system that is not a godly system. And we have to be aware of that. We need to be as wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves, not guilty ourselves, and yet at the same time operate in wisdom, and we need to train our kids to do the same. So they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. And then they go back through, you have said whenever the music plays, we're all supposed to fall down. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of Babylon Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these pay no attention to you. Now, is that true? See, right away, they're kind of telling a half-truth. They're lying. I really doubt Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't care anything about what Nebuchadnezzar says. So they're altering what was said. Again, they're kind of positioning it in a certain way to appeal to the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. They don't serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. Now, it's interesting here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't go before the king and say, King, don't do this. If you do this, we're not going to bow down. Did you notice that? They really just defied the, the order and were kind of taking a chance that they, they knew they could get found out, but they didn't, they didn't go before the king ahead of time and say, you know, hey, don't do this. Um, keep in mind that the, the, all of these other people groups have their own gods, so to add another god, to set up an image, you know, I think a lot of these other nations, when, it, when they worship multiple gods, were covering their butts, so to speak. You know, they were saying, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe this god is more powerful than that god, so we'll just worship him a little bit. We'll worship that one a little bit. And they would kind of worship at a lot of different uh, places so that they would cover and make sure, in case I'm wrong, and this isn't the most powerful god, I'll kind of give deference to all of them. And this is very much, you know, in opposition to the way that the Jews operate. So, when they tell this to Nebuchadnezzar, obviously he flies into a rage. I mean, he is totally upset. He's angry. 
and he commands that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. They come before the king, and he says, is this true? Have you, have you defied me? Are you really not going to uh, follow through with all this? And, and it's interesting that he gives them another chance, right? He says, we're going to play the music, and we'll see what you're going to do. Take some time. Think about this. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, you know, we don't need to think about this. Um, it's interesting he gives them the chance, and he says, but Shad, and this is an important line, I don't want to skip this, he says, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Interesting going just from chapter two, we don't know how much time has passed, where he had this dream, he was praising the God of Daniel just a chapter before, right? And now some time has passed, and he is pretty sure, you can kind of tell, it doesn't seem like Nebuchadnezzar is a huge believer uh, in any god other than his own power. And of course, it's interesting to keep in mind, back then, they used to say whose god was powerful based on conquering. So when Babylon conquered Israel, that proved, well, our gods are clearly stronger than Israel's gods because we conquered these people. So in his mind, that's his worldview. It totally makes sense that the god of Israel would not be as strong as his own gods or he himself, you know, in this case. And so he kind of, he draws a line in the sand, not even realizing that he's drawing a line in the sand between him and God, right? He's basically said, there is no God that can defy me. I'm God of this world, and we're going to see what's really going to happen. <clears throat> so um, he draws this line in the sand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, we don't really need to think about this. Uh, we're not going to bow down, and if we die, that's fine. I love it that they have that. They're just, they, they make this decision based on conviction, and that's really the point that I want to bring out here. They don't make a decision based on circumstance. They make a decision based on what is their conviction already that's in their heart. Who are they as people? And so they say, we don't need to think about it. If we die, we die. That's fine. But our God is able to deliver you. So they have faith, but they're willing to go to the mat, right? They're willing to die, but they totally put their faith and their trust. And they, they make this decision based on principle and conviction, not outer circumstances. They know God can deliver them, yet they're prepared to die if he doesn't come. And this is echoed quite a bit in the New Testament, especially if you go uh, to First Peter, where you have these passages that talk about uh, suffering as believers, First uh, Peter 2 says this, servants be subject to your masters with all respect. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue with this. Is that okay? It's just cutting out on you. Yeah, I know it's Good. cutting out a little bit, but I'm gonna, I'll try not to move. I'll try to just sit perfectly still here. Uh, servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good, you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. There is a principle that we have as believers. Christ suffered for us. We will suffer. And he says, if you're going to suffer, suffer for doing the right thing. Be ready to suffer for doing what God calls you to do. If you suffer for doing evil, of course, that, that's not the point. It's suffering for obeying and for, for doing the right thing. I love the, the next 
you wonder if Peter is thinking about Daniel when he says in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. You know, is Peter even thinking of this? As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when the glory is revealed. For if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if any one of you suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in the name. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And then finally, Matthew 10, he says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay, so these three are more concerned about how God will judge them than they are about dying. And they're willing to suffer for something. They are willing to cross that line on God's behalf, and they are bold. So, of course, Nebuchadnezzar is filled with fury. He has the fiery furnace heated seven times hotter than normal. And then he has them tied up. And it, it, you know, it talks about the fact they're dressed and everything. He ties them up right then. And even the furnace is so hot, it kills the guards who are throwing them in. Of course, now you don't see any remorse. You know, no one's upset about the guards dying. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar just wants revenge. Now, this is, their defiance is like a slap to Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he's ruthless. He's never defied. And the fact that they're defying him just makes him go crazy. Um, now, it's interesting to me that God didn't keep them from the fire. I think that's an important fact for us to consider when we think of our own lives and when we're instructing our kids, okay? God could have stopped this at any time. I mean, God could have appeared right then when they were before Nebuchadnezzar and said, don't throw them in the furnace because they're doing what I asked. He could have caused the fire to go cold or not be able to start. He could have snatched them away so that they didn't go into the fire. Do you realize that? I mean, have you ever really stopped to think about how many different ways he could have rescued them? And yet, he lets them go all the way into the furnace. Okay? He lets them go all the way in. Um, I think some of us, we get mad when God allows us to face a trial. Or he doesn't deliver us in the way that we want to be delivered. Right? We all face trials. We face trials. We face cancer. We face broken relationships. We face job loss. We face financial ruin right? We face, we have car accidents, and our houses flood, and all kinds of things happen. And God uses each one of these trials to test us. He uses it to shape us and mold us. And instead of getting angry at God, each one of these we should use and see and say, this is an opportunity for us to be refined. It is in the fires of life that we are refined. In fact, Isaiah 48 says this, behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. Isn't it interesting that he uses furnace there in Isaiah? I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. And God does that with us. He brings these things into our lives and allows us to be shaped by these. So King Nebuchadnezzar is astonished. He rises up. He runs, and it's interesting that he says, weren't there, weren't there three people in there, and now I see four? 
And he humbles himself and actually goes to the furnace and says, hey guys, come out. That's interesting to me that he, in humility, does that rather than saying to them, hey, you guys are sending a servant. He doesn't send a servant to call them out. He humbles himself and goes, and he calls them out. And he, he says, okay, this one is like a son of God. Now, this could be an angel. It could be a theophany. Now, theophany is Jesus appearing in the Old Testament different times. Um, this is going to keep cutting out, isn't it? All right. Yeah, give me the other one. I'm sorry. Um, we're trying to keep the recording good for the podcast. So I've resisted you before, but it's just getting worse. So thanks. I'll just leave it. All right. Can you hear me? Um, so you have, he goes, and this could be Christ appearing uh, in the flames. It could be an angel. We're not really sure. And how he knows, you know, he says this one looks like a son of the gods. Uh, does that mean that he is, you know, maybe he's 10 feet tall, maybe he's shining like lightning as often angels are appeared. Uh, we don't know what causes him to, to look like that. But um, we have Christ, uh, this, this image of, of deliverance, right, is definitely happening. Nebuchadnezzar, now this one's cutting out. Fantastic. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, <coughs> he calls to them himself. And he addresses them and addresses their God with humility. And he says, Blessed is the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted him and set aside the king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid to ruin. Now, um, now here he's not uh, saying, I'm going to have to hold it in order for them to hear me. He's not saying that they're going to have to, he's not saying that they're going to have to worship. You know, he doesn't become a God worshiper. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, all right, we're all going to now worship Yahweh. He just says, don't talk against this God, or I'm going to tear your house down and tear your limb. So he's definitely showing a respect or deference, but he is... uh, He's not become a worshiper yet, and we'll see that uh, in the next couple chapters. Um, now, their fortunes, again, just like in the first three chapters, their fortunes increase. God raises them up. They have more glory because they were faithful, and he honors them. Um, let's look at our takeaways, and then um, I'm going to let Cammie come up here. One is the world is full of people seeking their own glory and setting up their own kingdoms, right? We talked about that. And we, that, that shouldn't be a surprise to us. Everyone is operating out of a non-Christian worldview and system. And we can't be surprised when they do that and when they use the world systems to attack us. Okay, so training our kids to be aware of that system and, and training them to be wise and operate within that system is one of the things that we need to do. Even to the point of, you know, we need Christian lawyers. We need Christian politicians. We need Christians entering into the, the world's systems, right? in order to combat these things. And so, um, again, if your kids want to go into these areas, I think Christians have largely deserted a lot of these. And uh, we need to think about that as our kids are growing up to say, hey, this is the way the world works. How do we enter into that? How can we enter into that? Um, 
Are our kids making decisions based on principle rather than circumstances? And do they see us doing that? The way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't have to think about it, they said, no, we're just deciding this is what we're going to do. And let me give you an example of that that's just a real-world thing. Cheating is something you may or may not be aware. Many of you think back to high school, and, and are you thinking, you know, I cheated like crazy in high school. Uh, I, I didn't, but I know a lot of people who did. Cheating is rampant right now. Um, and I think a lot of it is our, so much is piled on our kids that a lot of them just to survive, they think, well, I could do like 20 hours of homework tonight, or I could cheat on this exam, or cheat on this quiz. And they don't make the decision based on what's right and based on their value. They make the decision based on their circumstances. And that's what I'm, I'm talking about here. And they do it on the most stupid things. Like, they, do you know your kids are more likely to cheat for like a pop quiz or a quiz that happens at school that's worth almost no part of their grade? They're more likely to cheat then because they think, well, this is silly anyway. So it's a small thing. I'm just going to ask my neighbor or look, you know, on somebody's paper and cheat because of that. And now think about this. What they're doing, though, is they're selling their integrity at such a small price. They're saying, my integrity and my ability to pursue truth, they're breaking two commandments, stealing and lying. I'm going to lie that say these answers are mine, and I'm going to take them from somebody else. So stealing and lying is involved in cheating, and yet they'll make that decision in in an instant based on their circumstances. I mean, this, so teaching this principle, having our kids know who they are and on what they base the truth, on what do they base their principles, is an important thing. Um, Next is, are they willing to suffer for doing what is right, and are they looking to God for deliverance? That is a willingness to suffer. Again, if you're not going to cheat, you're willing to take a lower grade. And or if if you want to confront your boss or confront a friend, you might lose that relationship. But are you willing to know that God can deliver you in that situation? But you might suffer the consequences, right? That's real world world for us. Many of you may work for someone who you know they maybe they're doing something dishonest, and you know, well, if I if I blow the whistle here, I could lose my job. But God could deliver you, and you don't know which it is. But do you make that decision based on well, I don't want to lose my job, so I'm not going to blow the whistle, or do you do what's right? and confront them. See, these are things that they're going to really have to face. Um, God meets us in the fires of life and we're, as we're shaped into his image, and without the fire, we're not refined. Okay, so part of what we need to tell our kids is trials are coming in your life. There will be trials, and they are necessary. There are trials that are going to come, and they're necessary because God uses them to shape us, and we should not be surprised when they happen uh, as we as we go into that, they are necessary and they are coming at some point into our lives. And then lastly, we can only face the trials in life with confidence because Jesus faced the fire on our behalf, right? Ultimately, Jesus does go into the furnace. In this case, he went into the furnace with us, but the reality of our world is he went into the furnace for us, right? He went in... And he died so that we don't have to. And we have to remind our kids of that. Yes, you can face this trial because we suffer because Christ suffered, but he suffered so much more. He took so much more on his behalf, on our behalf, so that we can do what's right, so that we can live in victory. And ultimately, we have to continue to remind our kids of that. Uh, Let me pray, and Cammie's going to come up. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for this lesson. Uh, Lord, we do face trials, and we do need to make decisions based on principle. I ask you to help us to keep in mind and to look to you when we face those trials, those fiery trials, to not be surprised by them, and to uh, know as we move forward, God, that you are on the throne. Thank you for, for suffering for us. Thank you for taking those trials on our behalf. Continue to guide us. Uh, be with us as we uh, listen to Cammie now. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Um, my name's Cammie Summers, and those of you that haven't been here before, we're glad you're here. I'm Jeff's wife, and I started getting up here to talk after sitting through Parent You for about a year because I wanted you guys to know that this is a lot harder to live out than it is to teach on. Um, I'll say with you, I don't want my kids in the fiery furnace. I don't want them to face trials and suffering. I would love to say that we live in Jerusalem and that this is a Christian nation where God is glorified and let's just all be in a Norman Rockwell painting together. <laughs> I mean, that's what my heart would like. Um, and so part of this whole facing Babylon is hard for me as a mama. And I say that to you because I know it's hard for you too. And so to come in here to me is an encouragement because it reminds me that we are in Babylon, and we have to make choices, and it's hard, and we have to instruct our kids, and we have to um, be examples to them. But we always, we don't want to put a rainbow sticker on it. We want to be honest and say it's hard. It's hard to be in Babylon. I, I struggle with it. Um, and so that's why I get to come up and kind of share with you guys. And so I'm going to ask you guys a question, and I don't know if you're going to be honest with me, but have you guys ever had lice? Okay, if you've ever had lice, lice to me is evidence of the fall. I'm just verily certain. And um, since I entered my 40s, I used to have the gift of sleep. I could sleep anywhere, anytime. I was um, a Southern Belle at Dollywood, and in my 15-minute break, I could put my head down and sleep for 15 minutes and sit up and go work. Like, I was like... I was the sleeper. I had the gift of sleep. And when I turned 40, the gift of sleep has been declining in my life. I hate that. And so um, last night, I was a, I, we went to bed about 11 o'clock, and I'm laying in bed, and I'm asleep, and I'm scratching my head. And I'm scratching my head so much that I wake myself up scratching my head. But I don't wake up all the way, you know. I just wake up enough to know that I'm awake and to start catastrophizing. Have you guys ever done that in the middle of the night, catastrophizing? So I'm laying in bed, and we've had several bouts with lice before. And I'm laying in bed, and I'm going, gosh, my head is itching. Do we have lice? If we have lice, that's terrible. I can't do anything at 2 in the morning. Go back to sleep. Man, my head itches. You know, and I'm just laying there going for like two hours, not awake enough to do anything reasonable or rational, not wanting to get up, but just letting the fear of lice, lice consume me. So around 3 o'clock, I get up and I check. And I don't have lice. I just have a dry scalp because we were visiting some friends and I used a different shampoo. And so my head was itching like crazy, but it was just shampoo. It wasn't lice. Praise God, there was no lice. Um, <laughs> but I share that with you because if you're like me in the darkness of the night, your fears can overwhelm. 
and that's not when you make your best choices, right? I mean, that I laying in bed for two hours and just being afraid of having lice was not as bad as getting up and seeing if I had it. But I couldn't be rational in the darkness of the night. And I think that's a common thing. I, th- I don't think I'm alone in that. I think when we face the darkness, it can overwhelm us. And it can even just be our fears. You know, I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And would just Shadrach have stood up and not? Would have been to go? You know, God gave them three, and there was power in the three. And I think that's important because as I'm older, it's harder and harder to have community. Are you guys struggling with that some? I mean, this pace of life, the season of life I'm in, I'm working, the kids are busy, the schedule is crazy, I'm exhausted, I don't have time to invest in relationships the way I would like to. Um, We just got back from Florida last night at 10 o'clock. We went to a wedding that was yesterday morning, and we left to come back last night um, because of this, because of Parent You. I mean, we want this to be a community where you can come and you can share and you can be known. But I'll be honest with you, if this is the only time we meet on once a month, we won't have community. We'll have a superficial, yeah, it's hard. You know, so one of the things I wanted to share with you guys, and I'm praying about this, and and I just want to ask you to pray too. They're doing something different this year for spring break. They're doing a ski trip that they're promoing as as a family ski trip. And I'll tell you, I'm not a skier. I've never skied in my life. Two ski trips I went on, one I was pregnant, the other I had the flu. So I've never been able to ski. I'm 42 years old, and I don't plan to start skiing. I'm afraid I would break a bone the very first time I went out. But I'm interested in going on this ski trip, if you guys go, because the only way to get real community is to be together. It's that time. You know, we went to Florida, and I got to be with a girlfriend of mine and her family who I've known for over 13 years. And so we get together, and we don't inhale the whole time. We're just talking, talking, talking to be together because we're so excited. And we have this deep relationship because we've known each other for a long time. And I've watched her get married, and I've seen her have babies. And there's this depth in our relationship. And that's the kind of time it takes to have deep relationships. And if I live in Duluth and you live in Alfreda and we see each other once a month, it's not going to be that. But if we go on a vacation together and we're together for a few days and we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner together and we talk about it and, you know, we see each other do silly things on the ski slopes or whatever, I don't know. To me, that's an opportunity for deeper community to grow. So I just wanted to give you guys a heads up. The deadline, I think, is November, and um, I don't know how we – share that we're going because I know everybody's like well I don't want to go if they're not going and are they going to go and we feel like we're back in junior high all over again um but I would love to go and I would love to go and catch coffee with you and and hang out and just be together I think it would be fun so pray about it think about it if that's something you're interested in um the other thing I wanted to let you guys know is um, we did have a Facebook page. We still do a Facebook page called Parent You, but we have also a website. So if you're not on Facebook, you can still read the blogs and find out what's going on with Parent You. Um, we would love, yes, Mark did this. It's just lovely. Isn't it lovely? Um, there's blogs on it, and we would love for you to interact, to comment, to interact, and 
respond and know, and, and we want to build this, this into a deeper community. But that largely depends on you guys. If you're willing to get out there and to commit and be involved and talk and build a community, um, it's up to you too. So anyway, an encouragement and praise the Lord that we none of us have lice. So that's something to rejoice with, if nothing else. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, I, I just praise you that you are God and that you are God with us, that you are Emmanuel, and that you are in this fiery furnace with us. And in the darkness of days, you surround us with your love through the hands and feet of your people. And so I lift up to you and I just pray for a depth of community to be grown in this place. And I pray that we would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to each other, and that we would encourage each other in Babylon so that we would be able to do the right thing because it's hard, Lord. It's hard when the world is telling us to compromise. It's hard when we judge the costs to obey and to be faithful and to value righteousness over conformity. I struggle, and I just pray that even now you would help us to encourage one another and that we would be a light in this community of your righteousness, um, that we would do the right thing because of you and that we would be able to point others to you by our example. I thank you for this time together. I especially pray for our children. Lord, they are growing up in a very hard time, and they need you desperately. Help us to point them to you. Help us when we fail miserably um, to say we're sorry and to model for them our own dependence on you, that they might want more of you because they see us desperately clinging to you. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Are there any other announcements? No? No? Okay. Y'all are Smiths.